Hello, this is Father John Arthur or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 20th program presenting the Catechism of the Catholic Church in Brief Statements. We've gone over the 12 articles of the Creed, we've gone over the 7 sacraments of the Lord, and the 10 commandments of God, and the commandments of the Church. And this is our final program on the Catechism. We'll go over the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church before we begin a new series of talks. In response to the demands of his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray, St. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, Jesus confided to them the fundamental Christian prayer, the Our Father. The disciples asked the Lord, teach us how to pray. So, if we're going to call ourselves followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, his disciples, we likewise should ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And he has taught us, and he does teach us, our Father. The Lord's Prayer is the fundamental Christian prayer. It has everything we need. It's packed full, chock full of goodies. The Lord's Prayer is truly the resume of all the gospel, said Tertullian, one of the fathers of the church, in his work De Oratione, number three on, of prayer. It is the most perfect of prayers, says St. Thomas Aquinas, priest and doctor of the church, in his Summa Theologiae, Secunda Secundiae, the second part of the second part, question 83, article 9. She's the center of the scriptures. Three different assertions in this one passage from the Catechism regarding the Lord's Prayer. A resume of all the gospel. It's so full of our Lord's doctrine. Perfect of prayers because it comes from the perfect prayer. It comes from God. The center of the scriptures because the gospel is the heart of the scriptures and the Lord's Prayer is the heart of the gospel since it reveals to us the eternal Father and the eternal Son in the Spirit, since the scriptures are inspired. She is called the Lord's Prayer because she comes to us from the Lord Jesus, master and model of our prayer. Even when we pray our Father, it's not as if we forget the Lord Jesus, for we pray his prayer when we say our Father. Jesus is our master. Jesus is our model. He is our master when we do what he tells us to, and he tells us to pray this way. And he is our model of prayer since this is how he prayed. To the extent we allow the Lord Jesus to be our master and model, we will pray his prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, or in the Latin, the Pater Noster. The Lord's Prayer is the prayer of the church par excellence. She makes an intrinsic part of the great hours of the divine office, the liturgy of the hours, morning prayer and evening prayer, which we pray at Holy Ghost, and the sacraments of Christian initiation, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist, even if these are celebrated outside of the Holy Mass. Integrated in the Eucharist, she, the Lord's Prayer, manifests the eschatological character of her demands in the hope of the Lord until he comes. St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 
26. What does it mean? The eschatological character, thy kingdom come. When we pray that part of the Lord's Prayer, it's not a taunt, but it's a request. Bring it on. Come back, Lord. Thy kingdom come here and now, not only by my holy living, by your grace in my life, Lord Jesus, but by your returning glory right here, right now. Thy kingdom come today. Simple and faithful confidence, humble and joyous assurance are the dispositions which bid one to pray the Our Father. Further reasons. Why should we pray? How should we pray? With simple confidence. We are simple believers in the presence of our simple God, not a simple tin. God is not complex. God is one. Even though God is three divine persons in his one nature, faithful confidence, this is what the Lord has told us to do, so this is what we do. A humble confidence, oh no, I can improve the Lord's prayer. <laughs> That's an attitude of pride if I ever heard. A joyous assurance, I'm happy to call God my Father. I'm happy to pray the prayer the Lord Jesus has taught me. It gives me joy to be an adopted son of the Eternal Father. It gives me great joy to be a citizen of heaven. These are the dispositions which bid us to pray the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. So if we don't have those dispositions, if we're not faithful, if we're not confident, if we're not simple, if we're not humble, if we're not joyous, let us ask the Lord when we pray the Lord's Prayer to bless us such that we might be well disposed to pray as he would have us pray. We can invoke God as Father because the Son of God made man himself, Jesus, has revealed it to us in whom by baptism we are incorporated and adopted as sons of God. St. Teresa of Jesus of Avila, the great Carmelite doctor of the church, she often could not even get past that first phrase, Padre Nuestro, Pater Noster, Our Father. She would get so caught up in contemplation of God and the communion of saints. For we don't pray, My Father who art in heaven, singular, alone. We pray, Our Father, for our Father is the eternal Father of the eternal Son made man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father is the Father of all the saints, to which number we're blessed to belong. By God's grace and favor and baptism, the prayer of the Lord puts us in communion with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. She reveals to us, in the same time, ourselves. Here, the Catechism of the Catholic Church echoes the sure and certain teaching of the Second Vatican Council in its pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world, Gaudium et Spes, Article 22. This passage was one of the favorites of John Paul II, who, as a younger bishop, had been so active in the workings of the council. Jesus Christ reveals not only God to us, but also us to ourselves. And he does so by his life, death, and resurrection, by his proclamation of the kingdom, his calling us to conversion. And the heart of his gospel, as we saw earlier, is his prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the prayer he taught his disciples and teaches us still to pray. Prayer to our Father 
develops in us the will to resemble him, also a humble and confident heart. Why is this? How is this? Because in the Lord's Prayer we say, Thy will be done. What got us into the fine mess we're in? The disobedience of our first parents. Sin. Preferring our will to God's will. God's will manifested to us on Sinai's height. In the Decalogue, and the commandments God gave to Moses. On the Mount of the Beatitudes, when God deepened that earlier law. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure of heart. This is the will of God, which when we are humble, when we are confident that God has revealed these things and called us to them, then we do his will, by his grace, to his glory, and our salvation. There are said to be seven petitions in the Lord's Prayer, seven demands. In saying, Our Father, we invoke the new alliance, alliance, covenant, in Jesus Christ, communion with the Holy Trinity, and the divine charity that is extended by the church to the dimensions of the world. For our Father God is Father not only of all who believe, all who are baptized, but Father of all the living, who is the Lord and the giver of life, the Holy Spirit, we pray in the Creed, by which these words are inspired and by whom we are inspired when we pray them with faith who art in heaven does not designate a place the catechism says but the majesty of god and his presence in the heart of the just heaven the house of the father constitutes the true homeland where we tend to and to which again we belong by god's grace by god's design. In the Our Father, the first three demands or petitions have for their object the glory of the Father, the sanctification of the divine name, hallowed be thy name, the coming of the divine kingdom, thy kingdom come, and the accomplishment of the divine will, thy will be done. The four other petitions or demands present our desires these demands, requests, petitions, concern our life to be nourished, give us this day our daily bread, or to be healed of sin, forgive us our trespasses, and made victorious in the struggle of good over evil, deliver us from evil. It's a beautiful summary the Catechism gives us. In petitioning or demanding, requesting, hallowed be thy name, we enter into the design of God, the sanctification of his name revealed to Moses, Yahweh, then in Jesus, which is likewise a holy name, above which there is no other name, by us and in us, the same in all nations and in each man. There is amongst so many Catholics a very pious practice to pray the prayer called the divine praises. Blessed be God, blessed be his holy name, blessed be Jesus Christ, true God and true man, blessed be the name of Jesus, blessed be his most sacred heart, blessed be his most precious blood, blessed be Jesus and the most holy sacrament of the altar, blessed be the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, and it goes on and on. 
This is an anti-blasphemy prayer. If we know the second commandment, not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain, and if we pray the Lord's prayer, hallowed be thy name, it's good for us to likewise pray the divine praises, and not just to pray it, but then to live it. How much blasphemy goes on on the radio or in the television or in the movie house or in our workplaces may it never pass our lips. We do not make God's name holier, but if we use it well, it's made holy in us. If we are saints by his grace, by holy living, then we're rightly called Christians, not abusing that sacred title. By the second demand, petition, request, the church has principally in view the return of Christ and the final coming of the reign of God, thy kingdom come. She, Mother Church, prays also for the increase of the kingdom of God in the today of our lives. So it's not just an eschatological prayer for the hereafter, for the eternity of heaven, thy kingdom come today, bring me there, but also in the here and now. In the third demand, petition, request of the Lord's Prayer, we pray to our Father to unite our will to that of his Son, to accomplish his design of salvation in the life of the world, to have the same will as God. That does not mean we change God's will, but that we allow the Lord's will to trump our own. Remember the agony in the garden when our Savior said, Father, not as I will, but as you will. So our Lord not only teaches us how to pray, he shows us how to pray in his own life of prayer. Yes, the Eternal Father and the Eternal Son are one. But the Lord Jesus has two wills, a human will and his divine will. The divine will is one, even as God is one. But in his human nature... The Lord Jesus likewise had to submit his human will to the divine will, to that of the Eternal Father. The same is true for us. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And those who populate heaven, the holy angels and the holy saints, they are there because they do do the will of the Eternal Father by his grace and to his glory, their salvation. God does not will the death of the sinner, but rather that we be converted and live. Important for us to remember that. The fourth demand, or the fourth petition, request of the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, in saying, Give us this day our daily bread, we express our communion with our brothers, our filial confidence toward our Father in heaven. Give us, not give me, or give them, or give her, or him. Give us, all of us together, solidarity. Our bread designates the earthly nourishment necessary for our own subsistence. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner come to mind. What's required, necessary, three squares. And that of all, we should be concerned not only for our own subsistence, but also that of others. Our daily bread, not my daily bread, not his, theirs, yours, ours, all of us together. This also, however, signifies the bread of life, the Holy Eucharist, the bread from heaven, the Word made flesh, the Word of God and body of Christ. We are fed not only with the food from the altar, but by the living Word of God proclaimed and explained from our pulpits, 
from the sacred text. It is received in the today of God as the indispensable nourishment, the underlying essence of the feast of the kingdom which the Eucharist anticipates. The Mass anticipates heaven. Our reception of the Holy Eucharist anticipates heaven. Our hearing the Holy Word of God, the sacred scripture proclaimed, nourishes us spiritually and anticipates that day when we'll see God face to face and hear him speak to us in his own voice. Words he's already spoken to us in human words, knowing that there is only one word, the word made flesh, Christ Jesus our Lord, who has taught us how to pray. The fifth demand or petition or request of the Lord's Prayer implores for our offenses, forgive us our trespasses, the mercy of God, which cannot penetrate into our heart unless we have pardoned our enemies. This part of the Lord's Prayer is conditional. Forgive us as we forgive to the example and with the aid of Christ. What example do we have of Christ? Not only the many he forgave during his public ministry, but even in his dying moments. What did he say from high on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Lord Jesus made excuses for you and for me, for all people when he spoke those saving words. We don't tell lies. We don't say sin is not sin. But we call down God's grace and mercy, not only for ourselves, forgive me my trespasses, but we call down God's mercy for everyone, for all. Forgive us our trespasses, and we will be forgiven to the extent that we forgive those who trespass against us, like Christ who forgave and who forgives us. We can only forgive our enemies by God's grace. We're not Pelagians. We don't think we can do it on our own. We need God's aid, God's help, his assistance. We need the example of Jesus Christ, and we have it. We have his aid. We have his help. We have his example. So let us live accordingly, pleasing in the sight of God. In saying, lead us not into temptation, we demand, we beg, we ask, we request from God that he will not permit us to assume the path which leads to sin. Lead us not. Don't let us go down that road. The joke is, lead us not into Penn Station. No, we know how to go. We know who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we want our Lord to keep us on that straight and narrow path which leads straight to the heart of Christ. For all other roads are sin. This demand, this request, this petition of the Lord's prayer implores the spirit of discernment and fortitude. Lord, help me to know what is a temptation and to avoid it. Lord, I recognize what is sin, what is evil, what is contrary to your holy will. Give me the strength to avoid it, to do the good I should, and not the evil which is presented to me. This petition of the Lord's Prayer solicits the grace of vigilance and final perseverance, that we might be faithful to Christ, to God's holy will, all our days, even until that last time we pray, Our Father... 
It is not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to succumb, to give in to temptation. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was tempted in all things like we are, yet he never sinned. He never consented to the temptations presented to him. Vigilance, to be on our guard. This is not just how you begin a fencing match. Onga! But this is how we defeat Satan and sin in our lives and in the world. Not calling what is not sin, sin. That would be scrupulosity. But laxity would be to say there is no such thing as sin. There is no such thing as evil. Everything is doable. But we know that's not the fact. We know that Christ our Lord came to save us from our sins, from ourselves, from the father of lies and the prince of darkness, who is the devil. And that leads us to the last petition of the Lord's Prayer. In the last demand, deliver us from evil, the Christian prays that God, with the church, will manifest the victory again acquired by Christ over the prince of this world, over Satan, the angel who is personally opposed to God and his design of salvation. Whenever I sin, I too am personally opposed to God and his design of salvation. But when I pray the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, with devotion, according to the mind of Christ, according to the mind of the Church, then I am being delivered not only from evil in general, generic evil, if there is such a thing, I'm being delivered from the grasp of the devil. It's interesting that the Catechism capitalizes the letter E in the word evil, deliver us from evil, that is the evil one who is the devil. In 2010, and for many years, how many people have refused to speak about the devil? When the church speaks about the devil, when the scripture mentions the devil, it is not that he might be worshipped or adored. Quite the contrary. It is only to rebuke him in the power of Jesus' holy name. The only one we are able to say, go to hell to and not get in trouble, is the devil. That's where he belongs. Not in my heart, not in my house, not in my streets, not where I shop. He belongs in the eternal fires prepared for him from all the ages. And we want to spend our eternity on high, in that place of bliss and glory, one with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, together with all the holy angels and all the saints who have gone before us and who will come after us. The Christian prays that God with the church will manifest again the victory acquired by Christ. How did Christ acquire his victory? By his death and resurrection, no question. But every moment of his life was a constant, victorious victory after victory, battle after battle. On a cold Bethlehem night, did Christ succumb or did he conquer? During his hidden life in Nazareth, did he succumb or did he conquer? During his public ministry, at the Jordan when he was baptized by John, or at Cana when he did his first sign, when he went around curing the sick and lame, healing the blind, forgiving the sinner. These were all victories. These were all conquest over Satan and sin, death and destruction in our lives, in our world, a definitive victory 
between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And that victory is made present each time the sacrifice of the Mass is offered at the altar throughout the world. In every town and city where the Church has made her presence known, and where she has not yet made her presence known, please God, missionaries will be sent, that the Gospel will be heard, proclaimed, believed, embraced, and lived. The last in brief statement of the Catechism of the Catholic Church regarding the Lord's Prayer goes like this. By the final Amen, we express our fiat concerning the seven demands, that it be so. So be it. I believe it. We've seen this golden word, Amen, before. We conclude so many, if not all, our prayers by it. This reference to fiat is not to the little sports car. No, it's how our will is united with God's. Fiat mici secundum verbum tuum. Let it be done to me according to thy word. Let it be so. Do it. We pray the Amen in the communion line. The body of Christ, Amen. We pray Amen at the end of the Lord's Prayer, as we are focusing on the Lord's Prayer in this program. We pray the Amen at the end of the opening prayer, or the prayer over the gifts, or the prayer after communion, and even the final blessing. So be it. Let it be done. May the Father's name be hallowed. May his kingdom come. May our wills be one. May we receive what we need spiritually and physically, materially. May mercy be upon us. May we conquer temptation and the evil one all by the power of God. So be it. This is why Christ the Lord has come. This is so integral, so much the heart of our faith. How good that we end our prayers with this four-letter word. It's not a bad four-letter word, one of those which we were warned against in our youth. This four-letter word is so good because it shows our assent to all the good things God has given to us in Christ Jesus and is giving us still. It has been my great privilege and pleasure to go over these many weeks now the Catechism of the Catholic Church in the in brief statements. The Our Father, which we heard about today, the commandments of God, the sacraments of Christ our Lord, and that great and ancient prayer, the Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the symbol of faith. Know that you are remembered in my prayers, and we pray every day and several times a day at Holy Ghost, 6 o'clock in the morning, morning prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours, Monday through Friday, that's the Divine Office where the Lord's Prayer is prayed. We have a Mass at 6.30 in the morning, Monday through Saturdays, and 8 a.m. Monday through Saturdays. And then there's Vespers at 5.30 Monday through Friday. That's evening prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours, the Divine Office. Our weekend schedule has not only those morning Masses, there's a rosary publicly recited after the 8 a.m. Saturday morning Mass. There are confessions heard from 5 until the last one, sometimes even up through 7 p.m. Then there's a Vigil Mass in Spanish at 7 p.m. Sunday morning, there's a 7 a.m. Mass, an 8.30 a.m. Mass. There's a 10 a.m. Mass. 
11.30 a.m. Mass. All of these are in English on Sunday morning. 1.30 in the afternoon, there's the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite Mass, the old Latin Mass, so-called. At 3.30, the Byzantine Ruthenian community comes to have the Divine Liturgy. And then the last Mass of the day on Sunday, the Day of the Lord, is at 6 p.m. Come and pray with us at Holy Ghost, and know that we pray for you, to Almighty God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.